again, I love just seeing these pictures of all of the activity and things that are happening around our church. And I want to thank those of you who are so engaged and uh, volunteering and helping us do what we do on the weekends. Because of what you do, we're able to come together and have these wonderful experiences of worship. So you're truly making a difference. We're in this series of messages called Together, and we know that when we do things together, we can really bring change. And that God created us to be together, that God created us for community. Don't you love it? When you see people get together, I mean, just think about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Come on, you know what I'm saying? They're changing the NFL, are they not? Things happen when people come together. Maybe they're not the greatest example, but you get what I'm saying. When we come together, we see the potential of what can happen when people are together. And that's what I want you to think about even today. What's the potential of what can happen when we are together? Well, I wanna tell you one of those potentials and it's this, we can learn. In fact, God created us to be people who learn and we learn most effectively when we learn together. God created us with the ability to do this as we gain knowledge, which can bring change in our life. In fact, that knowledge is knowledge that we need so that it changes something very specific, that God wants to use knowledge to help change our character. That's been a common theme in this series where we've talked about character, that we can have one of two different types of character, that we can have a, a, a love for ourselves, and that love for ourselves leads us to be very selfish in character. And the reason for that is because who we love has a bearing on our character. So if we just love ourselves and don't love others, we're selfish. Or we can be someone who is selfless in character, right? That we love ourselves, but we love others as much as we love ourselves, even to the point where we're willing to put other people before ourselves. And in doing so, we become selfless in character. So one of these two different types of characters describes who we are. And if we're the wrong kind of character, then we need to learn how to be the right type of person in character. Jesus obviously was the example for us of what it looks, to, looks like to be selfless in character. God has a desire for us to share that same character, but we need to learn how to do it. One of my favorite scriptures about learning is found in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And it, it says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So we need to do our best to be the people that God approves of. Who is the person that God approves of? It's the person who is selfless in character. In fact, God gave us his word, the word of truth, the Bible to teach us how to be this type of person. So that's what we're gonna learn about today. It's important for us to learn how to be this person. So how do we know if we're not the person that God wants us to be? Well, we actually touched on this a little bit last week that God created us with the ability to see things about ourselves and he uses something to get our attention. He does it through our emotions. That our emotions many times give away what it is that we're placing our value and trust in. I shared with you this, that there are those people who are insecure and they're insecure because they're placing their value, they're placing their worth on what other people think about them, what other people say about them, what other people do to them. 
So if they're placing their value on that from others and someone is very negative toward them, it hurts their sense of self-worth and they respond to it emotionally. They'll get angry or they'll get depressed because people have done this to us or they'll get anxious and stressed out because of it. That insecurity shows really where their value is placed. But think about another person. This person is a secure person and the reason why they're secure is because they find their value in God and who God created them to be uniquely because we're not like everyone else, right? That God created us with different gifts and talents and that we know that God loves us even though we do things wrong, that God loves us unconditionally. Have you noticed that people aren't really great about unconditional love? Do I have a witness out there from anybody, right? I mean, it's easy for us to be conditional in our love, but God is unconditional. He loves us anyway. So the secure person has somebody who's mean to them and says bad things to them and does things that's harmful to them, but they just are fine. They're okay. They have a really positive emotional response. Why? Because their value is in how God sees them and not how other people are treating them. And because of that, they have other emotions, healthy emotions. They have joy. Joy is an emotion that we experience that is centered in love as well. I have joy because I know you value me and you care about me. And I have joy when I'm with you. I enjoy being with you. I have peace because I know that God is with me and there might be problems that I'm going through right now, but God is big enough and powerful enough to help me deal with the biggest things that I can go through in life. So I have peace as I'm going through these really hard things. Or hope. The hope is that I'll have a better future. Things might be tough right now, but I know that God promises me a great future. Y'all, the worst thing that can happen is that we're in heaven with God for eternity, and that ain't so bad. Do I have a witness out there, right? We have hope for a future. So therefore, I can have joy and I can have this great sense of hope and I can have this love that comes from God. I can have this peace that comes from God instead of being angry and depressed and anxious. So if we are those things though, if we are experiencing the negative type of emotions, it can easily tell us that what we're trusting in for our value is off. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to learn. We need to become different. We need to put some new information in our mind so that we can become the people that God wants us to become. I want to share this with you today by looking at a passage of scripture that Paul wrote to a church. The church was in Philippi and he began this instruction with a, a statement. It was, it was basically an instruction of something that they were to do. He tells them to rejoice now, I want to talk about that just a little bit before I actually read the scripture to you because the word rejoice is important because in the word rejoice, joy is a part of rejoice. So we rejoice because we feel joy in a relationship that we have with someone else. I rejoice, I sing someone's praise, I say positive things about them because I know they value me and they care about me and being with them is enjoyable, it gives me joy. We can define rejoicing this way, it's celebrating my love relationship with God. So I can rejoice and have that emotion and expression or I can respond in a different way and we see both in the scripture. Listen to what it says, rejoice in the Lord always, when? always. So whether things are good or bad, easy or hard, 
always, I'm supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord, which means I can have really healthy emotions in this. I will say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, do not be anxious. Didn't we just talk about anxiousness? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, Every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now we've heard about joy in the form of rejoicing, celebrating this love relationship that I have with God. And now I hear about peace, that other healthy emotion. I can be at peace because in all circumstances, in everything, God is with me and he's enough for me. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you you have learned, that's that's what this message is about. It's about our learning, our gaining knowledge. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So I can either be rejoicing and celebrating or I can be an anxious mess and a wreck. So if I'm anxious, where I'm getting my value from is off and I need to learn something new. So who do I go to to learn this from? That's a great question. On your outline sheet number one, it says this, that I need to talk to God. I need to go to God because it's in him that I should be placing my worth and value. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what the scripture said in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer. Prayer is talking to God. So I need to go to God and speak to him about what is troubling me. You know, in relationships, I go to people who I have relationships with. We're in a relationship with God. We're in a community with God. And if someone is important to me or I value them, I'll go to a person who I feel like can help me when I'm going through some struggles in my life. In fact, my willingness to go to someone to help me with my struggles in my life says something about how I feel about this person, that I trust this person, that I need this person to help me and encourage me. So y'all, this is the way in which we are to look to God. If I'm in trouble, if I feel anxious, who better to go to than God? I need to talk to him about my situation and say what? I wanna just encourage you to think about this in maybe a little bit different way because a lot of times when we're praying, maybe we don't ask a lot of questions. Maybe sometimes we do, God, what is your will for this? But a lot of times what people tend to do is they tend to ask God to do things, right? They just ask God, this is what I need, God. God, if they're asking a question, will you do this? And they're putting the thing in his mind, okay? Will you do this? Or God, I need you to do this. I want you to think about asking questions of God in a different way. I want you to put yourself in a position where maybe you feel some anxiety in your life and you need help dealing with the anxiety, So we go to God and we ask him some questions. What's the first question? Why am I anxious? God, why am I anxious? Why am I feeling anxiety? 
And, you know, God's really cool about his Holy Spirit, right? He, he convicts us. He, he helps us have these feelings about who we are. And it may be that he brings things like this to our mind. Something that he could bring to our mind is, well, it could be that I'm anxious because I'm trying to find my value in someone other than him. Right? Because my value is supposed to come from him. And it could be that I'm feeling anxious because I am trusting in someone who has limited power when I could be trusting in someone who is all-powerful. And because of that, I'm anxious. Y'all, if you're relying on somebody who's all-powerful, there is no need to be anxious, right? But instead, we're relying on either our own ability or somebody else's ability that we're trying to get the approval from relying on them to help us out. We need to be talking and thinking about God. Here's the second question. Am I bothered because of what someone has said about me or done to me? God, it, can you bring to my mind, you know, when this anxiety came about in me, did something, what, what was the catalyst for it? What was the thing, the trigger that caused me to feel this feeling that I'm feeling right now? So it might be that our minds are taken back to something negative that someone said to us or something that was done to us in a negative way and we immediately see that we're placing our sense of self-worth on them treating us in the right way. So we have given the other person power over us. Did you hear what I just said? If we're trusting in their opinion of us to feel good about ourselves, we have placed all power of me feeling good about myself into their hands. That's why I'm feeling anxious. And that's not where we are to put our faith and our trust. Our faith and our trust is to be in the God who loves us whether we're doing right or wrong. Here's the third question. Am I bothered because I'm not getting what I want? Am I bothered because I'm trusting in myself and my own ability? I'm trusting in my power. I am anxious and upset because I wanted the promotion and didn't get the promotion. And the reason why I didn't get the promotion is somebody was better at what I do than I am and they got the promotion and, and that I didn't. Well, what does that say? I'm limited in my abilities. Somebody else had more ability than me and it's ticking me off. It's making me angry. It's causing me anxiety because I'm no longer in control of getting something that I want through my own power because I personally am not powerful enough. So I'm relying on my own power. Instead of saying, God, I accept your plan to place me where you need me to be for your benefit. So I ask the question, to get me to the place of understanding where am I truly placing my value and worth? Is it him or is it someone else? Then what do we do? Well, look on your outline sheet. We ask God for help. We need to ask for God's help. We pick up that on that in the scripture. It said by prayer and petition. The word petition is literally a request for help. I'm petitioning God for his help. So what do I need help in? Here's one thing I need help in. Help to see that he's enough, that God is enough. Instead of me taking control and doing things on my own power without him or relying on somebody else for my sense of value and worth, I rely on him. 
See, the problem is I've been relying on my own power or somebody else's opinion of me, and it's caused me to get to the place where I don't feel good about myself, and I was wrong. Remember last week I shared with you the three hardest things to say. I was wrong, I need help, and Worcestershire sauce. Thank you so much, that's the only thing you remembered. You didn't remember the first two. You didn't remember, that's okay, that's all right. It is hard. Is it Worcestershire or Worcestershire? How many shires out there are we? Worcestershire? Oh, wait, there's another syllable in there. That's all another, never mind. There are two really, it really, it is hard to say. Um, there are two really difficult things to say. I was wrong and I need help. I'm not enough. I need help. I personally, um, I uh, am not, I don't even need to say this because most of y'all probably know this, but I am not humble by nature, okay? I love attention. I love to be funny. I love to be the center of attention. I mean, literally, there are times I will just go up when people are talking and just stand in the middle of them just to annoy them to be the center of attention because I think it's funny. Why? Because it's all about me, right? I am not humble by nature, but I have become humble through God's hand in teaching me. God did something to humble me. Before I was diagnosed with being bipolar and having OCD, I mean, I felt like I was on the top of the world and I could do just about anything. And then my life became a roller coaster, just an emotional roller coaster. And I realized something is desperately wrong with me. And I tried to white knuckle it and fix all of my problems because I tried to maintain control and do it all myself. And I couldn't do enough to help myself to get me to the point where I was at a doctor's office in a psychiatrist's office getting medication to help me deal with something that I'd been dealing with. God put me in a position to say, you think you're powerful enough? try this. And I wasn't. It's when God puts us in a position where we're out of control and we need the help of someone else that we understand what humility is all about. And that's what God is doing. God is getting us to the point of us saying, yes, I need you, God. Yes, I need your help, God. I need the help that you're going to provide for me, even if it's through other people. I need you, God. So we need to request that for him. There's a second thing. He helps us to see that he's enough, but we need help to know how to respond when I'm tempted. This is what we need to know about temptation. Temptation comes to us to get us, to try to get us to trust in other things other than God for our value and worth. That's what temptation is all about. Satan is trying to use people to come against us, to tempt us, to place our value and trust in someone else other than God for our sense of self-worth. That's his temptation. Are you getting that? If we find our worth and value in him, we're unshakable. He is our power. But in any other situation or circumstances, we lose our ability to have this joy in our life. So that's what people are trying to do. People are trying to get you to use them as a measurement for your own success. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying, they're trying to get you into the game. And the game is called the game of competition. That's what this life becomes. It's, 
It's just one big competition where we truly are finding our value in being as good or better than others or having as much or more than others. And that's what it is. Life becomes one big game. And this is what God wants you to hear. Don't play the game because you always lose. And at the end, when you lose, everybody's crying and angry and depressed and anxious on the sidelines. Y'all just look at some of the football teams who lose, right? They're a mess. That is your spiritual condition waiting before you. Y'all, it's just amazing. Taylor's made me think about the NFL and now football is on my mind. That's the way it is. But is that not how it is when we lose? Don't we feel angry and depressed and, and we start questioning, I wish I wouldn't have done this or I wish I wouldn't have done that? And it's because we've entered the game. So we need to be people who don't enter that game. Instead, realize what God is doing in our lives when we're facing difficult circumstances. That's number three on your outline sheet. It says this, I need to thank God for the opportunity. In that verse, in verse six, it said that we are to pray and we also are to petition God. Then it said with thanksgiving, we are to come to God. We are to thank God for what we're going through. What are we to thank him for? We're to thank him for the opportunity. This is one of the things that Dwayne, our executive pastor, introduced to our staff. When we have a challenge or a problem that arises uh, in the church, we call them opportunities. We don't call them challenges or problems. We call them opportunities, which I love that. Even though it is a problem to be solved, it's an opportunity for us to learn and to get better. Isn't that great? So I want you to think about that in regards to anything difficult that we face in life. It's an opportunity for us to learn from and to get better. That's what God uses it for. So he uses it to help us get better in specific areas of our life. Are you ready for what they are? One of the most popular passages of scripture about love in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that, love is all these love things. But then it says something else and it doesn't just talk about love. It actually mentions three things that our life is about. Look at it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why is the greatest of these love? Because it's the person that we love that we can place our faith and hope in. Let's think about those three words for a minute. On your outline sheet, let's fill in the first statement. God is building my faith. If I'm going through a situation that I can't handle on my own, then I have to trust in someone else. And to trust in someone else is a building of faith exercise. When I dealt with my uh, emotional problems, my psychiatric problems, I had to place faith in God and other people that would help me deal with what it was that I was going through. And that's what God does. It, he teaches us we need others. We need other people in our life. Second thing is this, God is building, uh, helping me find hope. He's helping my, me find hope because I might be going through a difficult circumstance right now, but God is keeping our attention on the future. He's using what we're going through right now to help us see that there is a better future coming. Y'all, if everything is great and awesome right now, we don't need hope because everything is great and awesome right now, is it not? Hope doesn't exist when everything is great and awesome. Hope only exists when things aren't the way you really want them to be. Because then you have hope that it can be the way God wants it to be for us, to be in his presence. Y'all, that's good right there, is it not? 
It gives us hope. There's a third thing. It is about love. God is helping me experience love. I need to place my love in someone that I trust in because I know they value and care about me and they love me unconditionally even though I do things wrong and they have my back. That's the person I put my trust in and that's the person who helps me have hope for a better future because I can become like them. They're setting an example of a different type of life that can help me be better and to overcome some of these issues that I have in my life, that I have this love. That's what God is trying to do for us and that's what he wants to develop us. God wants us to learn to be faithful. He wants us to learn to have hope and he wants us to learn to be loving. We need to learn to be loving. All of these are important. So how do I do it? Well, some things have to change. It's number four on our outline sheet. It's the last thing. I need to change my mind. I need to change this thing in my head, right? I need to change my mind. The scripture talked about our mind in verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let me just draw something from that. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So therefore, if my heart and my mind are right, I'm gonna feel peace. It transcends all understanding, okay? If my mind and my heart are, are right, then I'm gonna feel peace. But if my heart and my mind are not right, then I'm gonna experience anxiousness. He mentioned the peace stuff before he started talking about the person who's anxious. So therefore, I need to look and see what the condition of my mind is so that there can be change. Another scripture that Paul wrote about this very topic is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love this scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two because it's so practical. Listen to what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, there's a God who loves you even though you don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So our act of worship is literally doing things for the good of other people. We honor God when we do things for the good of other people. That's what worship is right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so there are two patterns. There is God's pattern, then there's the world's pattern. So what we're going to do is we're going to attach something that we have already learned about at the beginning of this message to these two patterns. We're going to attach character to these two patterns. The worldly pattern is understood by a selfish character. It's about me and not you. So I do things for my benefit. A godly pattern is a selfless character. It's about you, even to the point where I'm willing to give of myself for your benefit. Y'all listen to this. The selfish pattern at its extreme, let me say it again. The selfish pattern at its extreme is narcissism. It's narcissism. 
It's vanity. It's completely putting myself in front of others to the point of bringing people pain. It's putting myself as completely number one. It's narcissism. Listen, selflessness to its extreme is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. It's giving myself for the benefit of the other, even to the point at its greatest extreme, is giving my life for the benefit of someone else. Oh, this is so good, is it not? Jesus went to the extreme, didn't he? Jesus showed his love by giving his life on the cross to take the sacrifice for our sin so that we don't have to. And what the Bible just said is, sacrifice, that type of lifestyle is actually what pleases God. It's an act of worship before God. That's what he approves of. That's the type of lifestyle that he approves of. Remember the very first scripture that we heard? To, that we would live our life, renew our minds in such a way that we would live a life approved by God. That's what he's after. So when will we become that? When our character is right. So I wanna talk about character just a little bit more and we'll move on. So what is character? Character is an expression of our love, all right? That's one thing that it is. We can see who we love the most through our character. I either love myself the most or I, I love others. Character, you probably heard this definition before and I love this definition. Character is who you are when no one's looking. Anybody ever heard that before? That's a great definition. It's an excellent definition. I wanna give you a third definition for, for character, right? And this is what's on your outline sheet. Character is my instant reaction to life events. My character is how I instantly react to something that happens to me. Have you heard people say, people say something, you know, they'll, they'll say something and then they'll say, oh, I didn't mean what I just said. And then you hear them say, oh, you normally mean what you first said. You ever heard that before, right? Well, that's what this is. Oh, I just responded that way, I didn't really mean it. Well, yeah, you did, because what your initial response is to what's going on says what you're really all about. So if I'm responding in a negative way toward people, if I'm responding in these unhealthy ways toward people, it's telling me something about my life. I need to change that character, so how do I do it? Okay, this is how you do it. In the scripture, it talked about the mind and the heart. The mind and the heart go together. I shared to you with you uh, the very first week, I think, in this series about uh, the brain. We talked about some brain stuff, biology things, and what we learned was that the strongest form, that the strongest force in the brain is attachment. So this is what happens. I think about something or someone can be an object or a person. I think about something or someone, and the more I think about it, the more I grow connected to it. The, the more committed I become toward whatever it is. The more time I spend thinking about someone, the more connected I feel to that, and the more attached I feel to what I'm thinking about. So if I don't like what I'm attached to, then I need to think about something else that would draw me to connect and to attach to something else. Does that make sense? So for me to be able to experience a change, then what I purposefully put in my mind makes a huge difference. Okay, here's, uh, this is gonna get really deep, y'all. I hope you can follow it, but 
I'm gonna give you some brain stuff again. So here it is. Uh, Y'all, we need to be full-brain Christians. How's that sound? Not half-brain Christians. And the reason why I say that is because our brain is in two halves, and many of you already know that. Some people look at the brain in this way. They look at the right side of the brain, and they say that's the creative side of the brain. In fact, they would say this about an artist or someone who paints or those kind of things, that they're right side of the brain type of people. That's creativity. That's their connection. And then the other side of the brain, the left side of the brain, is more logical in thinking, right? It thinks more in terms of that. So your engineer or your accountant is more in that type of the brain. Now, there is some truth in that, but it's not totally true. So I want to kind of explain why there is some truth, but why it's not totally true. Before I get into that, I want you to think of the brain as a cell phone. The cell phone has two processors. Cell phones have two processors. One processor works uh, for the communication part of the cell phone, and the other processor deals with everything else the cell phone does. So these two processors work together in order for the cell phone to work properly. There's a name that that scientists give for this. It's called synchronization. So I want you to think about the brain in the same way. There are two processors. There's a processor in the right side of the brain and there's a processor in the left side of the brain. And these two processors do two totally different things, but they have to work in conjunction with each other to synchronize with each other in order for us to be healthy and to make good decisions in life. You got it? So now we need to think about the different sides of the brain and what they do. The reason why those people who are artsy are considered to be right side of the brain people is because they are more sensitive to our senses. In the very back of the brain, our senses, they have these little things that all connect in the very back back part of the right-hand part of the brain. All of our senses go into this And it's through our senses that we evaluate our world, right? We see people's expressions and we evaluate people's expressions or we smell something. Like you might smell some great uh, dish that your grandmother made when when you were younger or whatever. And you smell that thing and you're processing all of that. So what happens is those senses are processed all the way through the right side of your brain from the back all the way to the front. And it just happens automatically. You don't think about it. You don't think about what you're smelling. You don't think about what you're seeing. It just is automatically happening. It's the most powerful part of your brain. It's the one that has the most horsepower. It does it on its own. And then somewhere behind the right eye, it goes over to the other side of the brain, the left-hand side of the brain, and it goes down the other aisle, right? It goes from the front of the brain to the back of the brain. But this is now the logical part of the brain, and this is the part that doesn't do it on its own. The left-hand side of the brain is something that we deliberately do to put information in our brain and our mind to logically think through our situations. Does it make sense? And it works its way back to the very back of the brain for us to be able to make decisions. That's how the brain works. So I want you to think about how we need to utilize both parts of the brain for us to learn. We need to utilize the part of the brain that uses the senses and exposes us to things that we see and hear that help us develop. And we need to be deliberate in in what we put into our brain to make sure that we learn and grow. Bunch of stuff to fill in here, but I'm gonna do it quickly. On your outline sheet, let's talk about the left brain first. It's the logical part of the brain. It's It's the purposeful thinking part. It doesn't work on its own. It does it on its own. I use my willpower to learn with this part of the brain. So I'm asking myself a question. How will I use my time? Because what I use my time to think about 
I form attachments to. Isn't that what we just learned? What am I gonna spend my time thinking about to gain information from? Well, I need to be going to God first. That's the very first thing that I taught you today. So let's write this down. Second statement, I read God's word and pray. We talked about prayer. Even in the scripture, it talked about if we wanna know how to live an approved life, go to the word of truth, go to the Bible to learn from it. So who do I learn from? I'm choosing to learn from God about what it is that he desires in my life. What does he desire for my life? Y'all, this is what we're doing in our left hand side of the brain. I learn beliefs. What is life about? In the left-hand side of your brain, this is what you're doing. You're forming your beliefs. You're saying life is about me getting everything that I want or life is about me giving to other people. You're forming that in your brain. That You're forming those beliefs. I'm choosing that. But not only am I learning beliefs, but let's write something else down. I learn behaviors. How am I to live? So my belief is I am to get as much as I want, so how do I do that? How do I get as much as I want? Or is to give as much as I can. How do I do that? How can I give to other people? How can I live that out? That leads to the last one. I learned strategies. How do I keep the rules? I learned strategies about how I keep the rules. Y'all know this is really deep, but hopefully it'll start making a little bit of sense right now. Here's the strategy. The strategy is to put myself in environments where my senses gain the right information. Let me say it again. The strategy is to put myself in an environment where my senses are gaining the right information. Remember, our brains are, connect, are created to attach. The strongest force is attachment. So I, and the strongest force of attachment, listen, are relationships. It's the most powerful form of attachment. So I either choose to put myself with people who are modeling a belief system, get whatever you want from your life, which is negative, because that's not who I'm supposed to be, but I choose to put myself around those people and I am learning things for them without even thinking about it. They're modeling how to live a selfish life in front of me all the time. So, that's not gonna work. What's gonna work? I have to put myself around people who are modeling the right type of lifestyle. The people who are modeling what it looks like to sacrifice for other people. The the type of, of lifestyle that is modeling what it looks like to show God's love to other people so that I'm gaining the right attachment and information from these people. Why is that? Look at the right-hand side of the brain. Let's fill it in. And the right brain, it is about attachment. I form attachments. Who or what will influence me? I choose that. Who or what will influence me? Here's the second thing the right brain does. I choose people who give me joy. Who loves me? Who is it that really cares about me and values me as a person that I enjoy being with because I know they have my back? Who is like that in my life? That's who I need to be with. Here's a third statement. I choose people who have the same desire for identity. What is our life about? Our life is about giving. It's not about getting. We all want the same identity and that identity is to be like Jesus. Here's the next thing. I choose people who recognize my immediate responses to life 
Who is capable to hold me accountable when my choices are off? They see me when I'm angry. They see me when I'm depressed. They see me when I'm anxious. And they are big enough to come to me and ask me some really important questions about where are you trying to find your value in life? I choose to put myself with people like this. Y'all, I'm just telling you, we in our world have a bunch of half-brained Christians. They're just using the left-hand side of the brain. They're reading their Bible and they're praying and you're thinking, but that's really a great thing. It is a great thing. But it's not enough because you need people who are modeling that behavior before you so that you can see what it's like. Y'all, this is so crazy. In the scripture I just read to you, Paul said it. Do what I'm doing. That's what he said. He modeled the life. Do what I'm doing because we need together. Why am I saying that we're living in a world with a bunch of half-brained Christians? Y'all, this, oh my, I, I, let me think, should I say it? Because if something better comes along on, on Sunday, you'll go do that instead of being together. That instead of getting with other people who are believers who can help you and encourage you and in all these things in your own personal growth, you decide to connect with other groups of people in the world who are very secular, who are modeling a very different lifestyle for you to live. And then you wonder, why do I keep failing? Y'all, we need each other to model for each other what it looks like to be a Christian. We need it. We need to be together. That's why we've spent these months leading up to the end of the year and are continuing to do it right now, preparing for getting people involved in community at the beginning of the year and getting people engaged so that we can do life together. I believe that God is gonna do a radical thing through this church when we start doing it together, when we start doing life together. We're gonna see marriages healed. We're gonna see people who are struggling with addictions overcome those addictions. We're gonna see people who are only willing to do things for themselves, be willing to make sacrifices for the good of humanity when we come and we do it together. So I wanna encourage you today in our prayer time if you're experiencing anxiety or anger or depression or anything that's off, start, let's start asking some questions about why. God, why am I anxious? Is it because I'm not finding my value in you? God, am I looking to other people to find my value? Am I looking to who I am? God, help me to long for you 